Right, and that beat means that uh, we're going to have another conversation um, here in the not dissect podcast studio. Uh, we're actually on the road up in Sun Valley. Uh, Michael is here, and uh, Mr. Tim Johnson, Don't and worry. Payson McGalvey. Close enough. Close enough. Close enough. Howdy. So, <laughs> um, we are all here for this bike race, and uh, this is, I don't know, let's see, the sixth edition or seventh? Yeah. Yep. First time for me and first time for Payson. Yeah, of, of uh, Rebecca's Private Idaho, which is uh, which historically has been a, been a one-day um, gravel race, about 95 miles, a little close to six, somewhere between 5,000 and 6,000 feet of climbing, depending on which device you have on your bike to record. And uh, this year was the first official year of um, the stage race version, which uh, Rebecca tested last year. And um, the... The, all I can say is stage one of the of the stage race was fucking amazing riding. I can't believe I missed it. <laughs> I feel like I just Tim would have loved it because it's like it's kind of like cyclocross where you, where your back just gets wrecked, but you're still having an awesome time because <laughs> it's you're on you're on a bike that probably isn't quite up to the terrain, but it's awesome. Yeah. I feel like we just yeah. stepped into a room with like an army guy and a Marine and you guys are gonna just light <laughs> each other up about like the specifics of your skills. <laughs> I'm really excited for it, I'll just say that. <laughs> I just, yeah, I, all I could say is like, I'm super psyched to have ridden my gravel bike on a bunch of single track before coming up here. Yeah. Cause right. it would have been dire otherwise. Cause right. it's like, that technical. It's not technical, it's oh. just single track. Oh, and you don't yeah. have suspension. That was the first day, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. And there's, I don't know, 16 miles of it or 15 or 14 miles of single track that um, by the time that, you know, coming back up the Harriman Trail or whatever that is and hitting those, like, where you're just like loving the hard dirt to when the momentum was actually happening on the way back up and then go around a corner and hit one of those gravel pools and just come to basically a grinding fucking... Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, four miles an hour halt. <laughs> like, ah, oh. okay. Yeah. My back really hurts now. <laughs> but anyway, um, so, uh, Tim has been a successful cyclocross racer for ever, forever. Yeah. Literally forever. Literally forever. Six national titles. I knew he was old, but damn. I know. <laughs> Let's not put a number to it, but yeah, it's fucking yeah. forever. We'll just, we'll just call it forever. Right. And and still riding and still active in the thing and has um and and then Payson um younger. Young pup. Uh let's not see, quite the, to forever yet. Not not, not quite to forever. Not, <laughs> not, not, but obviously, I mean you let's see. Born and raised in Durango? Or uh, just living there now? Austin, Texas, moved right. there about moved to Durango about seven years ago. So great mountain biking. Have you, have you ridden the, the fantastic trails down in beautiful Farmington, New Mexico? <laughs> uh, living in Durango, I don't often feel compelled to drive anywhere to ride my mountain bike. Um, Even in the so winter? No, no, well, you know, Phil's World is just over the hill. That's oh, usually that's my go-to when, yeah. when Durango's a little snowed in. But All right. Yeah. Um, and, and so we had some, 
a few topic ideas today or whatever, but um, I think we're just going to sort of, you know, let it flow. And, and like, so this, so the event here, um, like, uh, you two both and Rebecca mm-hmm. are uh, under the uh, Red Bull umbrella. Yeah. And uh, which I find actually is a really you know, let's see, you know, having seen Red Bull start with more sort of what one would call extreme sports, you know, and then branching out and actually putting the support into cycling and, and different types of cycling is pretty fucking cool. It's been a real, it's been a real wild ride so far. I mean, I've, I've, I'm hitting my 10th year with Red Bull now. Nice. Um, I got a call out of the blue in 2007, like, Hey, you know, cyclocross seems cool. We, we <laughs> called all your friends and asked about you, you know, would you, would you want to talk about doing a deal? Oh my God. Yeah, please. Like, what? <laughs> sure. Absolutely. What, what can we, what can we talk about? And I think that that's like, that's the thing where cyclocross at that point had started to become a discipline on its own, a little bit beyond what the normal road racing was, which, you know, at the time was a total shit show. And, and, uh, being an Austrian based brand, the people behind Red Bull were like, uh, Men's road racing is something we don't want to touch at all. Yeah. yeah. Nothing that we want to do with that. <laughs> okay. And in America, cyclocross was like this kind of burgeoning discipline and, and it being a part of it for a long time and watching it grow um, and seeing that that interest in how people were kind of taking it on and wanting to ride their bike in, in different ways. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's a perfect fit. And that's they've definitely shown that they do that quite often. It's always like, the sports that you don't necessarily see through a main lens, but the people who are in it are like, yeah. this is the coolest thing ever. We want everyone to do it just like us. Like, you know, how do we, how do we do that? And it's been, I mean, cyclocross certainly in the U S has blown, I would, I'll just say in the past 10 years, mm-hmm. it's probably longer, but maybe not that it, that it has actually become, you know, there are people who they, that aren't using it in the off season from road riding, but that it is the main it's on, focus it's on its own. Yeah. So as like, uh, you know, the metrics around bike riding, you know, how people ride their bikes cross has, has been the only discipline that has shown growth and has shown consistent levels of people getting into the sport for the first time. So road racing is not how you enter cycling. It's, it's really difficult. There's a lot of things that you, you have to figure out, you have to like find the secret handshake and like be allowed into this world. And it's really tough to do it. Mountain biking has its own thing where, you know, that's an easier way to do it. But cross is like, it's bite-sized. It's easy to do. You don't need a super amazing bike to do it. And yeah. you, can, you can go race for 45 minutes and be like, wow, I just did my first cross races. And it's a blast. If like somebody helped me stuff my lungs back into my body (laughs) right now, (laughs) which is actually, I mean, it's, I think that's one of the attractive things about it too, is that in, in, in a one hour race, you can utterly annihilate yourself Mm. in a way. Yeah. It's a great feeling satisfaction for it, but you can also do it when you have a job, you've got a family, you know, you spend all summer trying to find time to ride and then in the fall, you might as well use it up. You know, that's what a lot of people who, you know, as amateur racers are like. I love cross because I can ride five hours a week and it's no big deal. 
you know, you don't want to show up at a road race not prepared because <laughs> you might get dropped. Oh, no, you'll do, well, you will. You'll just bitch about it for the first half hour of every race. <laughs> you'll tell all your friends that you can't do it. No, but I, I saw this training program you could get on a DVD back in the day. Something about being time crunched or something. Uh, 27 minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah something yeah, like yeah. that. No, it's just, I, I, think the, I think the plan, isn't it like three times 20 minutes in the sweet spot? And you Plus five find minute apps. Someone to slap that. you in the five face and that's like the training plan. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned something really actually kind of disturbingly funny about like getting into road racing and that is the fact of how and i i say this with like a certain kind of love for the sport like they're total assholes you you have to have a friend or somebody that like brings you in and like introduces you because if no one knows you you get stared you get put in a place that's not easy to like want to come back yeah and it seems like cyclocross to me uh, how you're describing it is kind of why, you know, I go to other sports is because they're a little bit more welcoming and more fun to try. Yeah. And, and a lot of people who have been active in their in their life, whether it's school, high school or college, mm-hmm. it's a team based thing. And, and that's what gets them out of their dorm to go to practice or, uh, you know, after school. Mm-hmm. Um, and road racing is like you might be on a team with people but you kind of hate each other like at the same time (laughs) but in cross like you can be on a team and you can be in different categories and be stoked to see each other on a weekend and that's the thing that gets you out every single every single week and it's not just the i don't think it's just the the racing component of road riding either riding on the road is just really dangerous now yeah and nowadays nowadays right and uh i talking to folks in the industry it seems like that's one of the big movers and why gravel is getting so popular or just any of these off-road disciplines cyclocross mountain biking it's not just gravel i mean if you look at uh so some of the events that i focus on like the epic ride series are just exploding and uh people just feel a lot better about jumping on the trail rather than riding a highway i'd say personally for me like i crashed out in a time trial Shattered an elbow and did you know pretty much any interest i have on being on a bike dude i crashed in a time trial once too did you shatter my ankle? It's the wow. worst position. We're the to only end two that have ever crashed in a time trial. <laughs> I, well, I didn't do the crit race the week before because it was too dangerous oh, that yeah, early yeah, in the season. No. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm of course not gonna, you know, do the stupid thing and go, you know, play ping pong ball with all these other like. Yeah, no, you're right by cyclists. yourself. You're total control. And then I ran straight into somebody else because I was so into it that I wasn't spotting very often, tucked and just oh, smashed God. and laid out. And then I. I, you know, wanted to come back to riding eventually. And I came back to a road bike, bought a road bike, went for a ride. And I have to say that my feeling was fuck this, like cars, traffic, yeah. negotiating. Sketchy, like, really and I've, I've never been afraid of traffic. Like we rode through <laughs> Bulgaria, spent four months riding South our bikes Africa. in Bulgaria. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, we've done some dangerous enough riding that I'm comfortable, especially riding a fixed gear around London for six months is your transportation. I'll teach you all you need to know yeah. about sprinting bridges and dodging cabbies. But then when he started talking about gravel racing, I was thinking mountain bike and I was like, you know, our, don't get offended, but our first like response to anything mountain bike used to be like, guys, I don't wear plaid and I don't play hacky sack, so I'm not involved in that sport. <laughs> But then do you smoke weed in the middle of a ride? That's, <laughs> I mean, if you do that, then you're a mountain biker too, right? <laughs> so, in Durango, pretty so much. So he started talking about gravel bikes, and he's like, oh, no, 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 it's like a road bike, like cyclocross bike, like, but more adapted, a little bit thicker right. tires. And I was like, 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So then I started watching him get into it and then looking at like what the events were actually going on and then looking at my trail system. So I have like, I live in Quarter Canyon in Utah. It's 149 miles of trail. Most of it's single track and downhill and whatever, but there's a lot of actually like fire roads. Yeah. So I was like, this would get me off the road. And then riding, you're like, oh yeah, now it's back to that thing that it used to be. Maybe like 10 years ago, riding a road bike felt like you were by yourself. Yeah. So that that's one draw well, that I might see. might have been, but that was before the iPhone. Like yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. amount of people that are zombies in their cars and oh, they just yeah. constantly swing from like yeah. white line to yellow line. It's really crazy. I think about it all the time and yeah. I do not want to ride on the road. Yeah. And, I, I love road riding yeah. for sure. But I think uh, there's just such a lower barrier of entry for folks that are just getting into it. So when you go south, so I, um, the reason I asked him about Farmington before yeah. is because um, my, my girl, my girl, she had a, uh, she was at a medical practice down there um, for almost two years. And so I spent like seven months down there living with her and uh, realized that one of the stats for that part of New Mexico is one in four people who are on the road are driving drunk. One in four. One wow. in four. <sighs> And uh, you're talking it, malt liquor, or like yeah, I, clear. I, 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 think I think it all works. I think it all works. I mean, wow. You know, I mean, you know, I'd be riding sometimes dirt roads in the back of the and find like you know three or four bottles of Listerine, yeah. you know, empty. Oh gosh. And I'm just like, man, that's got to be a pretty harsh. Fucking I was gonna drunk go like, right there. Wow. I was gonna go Boone's Farm. Bright green. Like it was just really low end, but I think you just bought it. Yeah, oh, I, I was Listerine. thinking like liquor you buy in a liquor store. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, pharmacy, not at the corner store. Yeah. So I rode a lot of sand down there actually <laughs> but but I, yeah i, I mean the, the, with the the sort of advent or whatever of just like and especially i'm not into i can't billy goat on a mountain bike so when i go down to moab when selena works down there twice a month and i just started looking around and realizing how much gravel there is down there uh -huh. to to be able to do and and uh uh, a friend of mine, uh, Tim Matthews, moved down there from Park City, and so got like a really good rider to to, to ride with. And he knows the area, and uh, he knows that on Mondays we ride gravel, and I don't billy goat. So that's that's <laughs> helpful to have a have a friend to introduce you to it. So good, but I think that um, I we were just sitting over at the parade here in in Ketchum. Yeah, it was with Rebecca and with a few people who were part of her crew putting this event together. And there was a woman who was, she might have been 60, late 50s for sure. And she's talking about how she wanted to do Leadville, but had gotten into gravel and had done Rebecca's event the last couple of years. I'm like, my mom doesn't do gravel. Like, she doesn't <laughs> ride a mountain bike. I, I feel like that is such a cool thing to have this discipline go from the front of the race with someone like Payson. We've got like, you know, Josh Berry and whoever else is at, at the front. Yeah. Um, Josh is clearly at the front. To like, the crew. Far in like, the front right now. He's <laughs> like, I'm at the parade because, you know, it's fun to watch and like, I can't wait to go ride. Like that, that's huge spectrum. That is massive. It's massive. And I mean, and, and to, to see the other day, like all the days or the time that I spent racing on the road, you know, there's a, there's a certain demographic and like you don't, and, and here it is, it's, shockingly wide as you said mm -hmm. like I, I somebody who was uh you know finishing the, the the first stage a couple hours after i did i was just like holy shit you you know you're here at altitude you're carrying some extra weight 
you're rolling across the finish line with a fucking smile on your face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Thought you were just describing me minus yeah. crossing the finish line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a conversation that I have a lot is with someone who's been riding for 20 years. You know, they've been on a road bike, mountain bike, whatever, but yeah. typically a road rider who are like apprehensive about doing gravel because they don't know that they can do it. And I'm like, okay, just come to an event and you will see people that you don't expect to see out there doing what you're worried about not being able to do. Yeah. Do it. Just, you've been, you've spent that much time on your bike. Just, just go and ride it. You'll be fine. Yeah. It does seem there's like this, um, what I noticed from trying mountain biking being like, okay, I am unable to apply any kind of engine because I have no driving skills. Therefore this, I just need like a couple years of developing skill to be able to express any kind of like modicum in that field. And then road biking to me is like all engine all the time or yeah, race tactics. I mean, it, and it seems like gravels maybe a slight blend of that where you don't have to be so technical, but you can apply a little bit more engine. Well, yeah, it's funny that you say that, but at the, at the high end of road racing, yes, you have to have skills yeah, yeah, yeah. and tactics and fitness like, or sorry, ability and then fitness. Like those, that's an optional piece. Sure. Um, but yeah, for gravel, I, I feel like people get on a bike and they feel like they've been riding a bike. Maybe they've done it since they were a kid or, you know, they learned a long time ago but they don't want to take a lesson from someone. They don't want to learn how to actually do the skills sure. any better. It's like, if you're a golfer, you take a golf lesson. If you're, you play tennis, you take a tennis lesson, like learn how to ride your bike better. I see people who've been riding for 20 years and they do it wrong every single time and they don't have a good time. Their tire pressure is like 800 PSI too high. Their arms are locked tight. Their neck is just like the stiffest thing ever. And they're, they've got like a forehead that looks like they've been worried about something for 30 years, you know? Like, come on, man. Just let us teach you a couple of these things that you might be able to use. I didn't see you seeing me cross the finish line after the first stage, but I think you just... I wasn't even here, man. <laughs> but I, there is some, There's a couple different disciplines that we talk about, actually, because there's some, like, as a male growing up watching action movies, you are automatically going to be inherently and genetically good at driving a car fast. Like, that's the impression that most people have, oh. right? You inherently know how to handle a gun in any situation. <laughs> and you obviously know everything about working out without any kind of like instruction. This is just like what's bred into our DNA until you actually like watch some idiot pick up a gun or like get out of control in snow and they do the exact wrong thing. Or what you're talking about is like, no, I know how to ride a bike. I learned when I was like three. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, it's yeah, not the same it's thing. Not, it's not quite the same. Everyone else, someone will do it better than you, almost guaranteed. Sure. Absolutely. Oh, guarantee. I don't think there's an almost in that. <laughs> and thank you for noticing how jacked I am. I just right. realized you know, I've been working out a little bit. Pretty good. It's all that yoga. <laughs> yeah. It's all that yoga. Way too much down down dogging and too many shoulder caps. Payson, how did you start on the like the mountain bike trajectory? Uh, and it's specific maybe more specifically, maybe the adventure sort of side of it. Yeah, yeah. So my dad used to race, um, okay. and I did my first race when I was six years old. And Whoa. Nice. but shortly thereafter, uh, he had a, an autoimmune disease kind of come to the fore, and uh, he stopped going to the races. And being six, I didn't know the difference, so we yeah. stopped going to the races. Um, I got more into mainstream sports uh, through middle school and high school, um, but always, for some reason, in the back of my head, bike racing came back. And I'll admit that part of it was, uh, you know, it was the Lance era and, and racing, in, bike and racing in Austin, was in the headlines, yeah. right? So 
um, finally, you know, he, he was actually in a wheelchair for a period of time, but finally he said, you know what, you keep talking about pro bike racing. If you want to be a pro bike racer, you should probably do a bike race again. Um, I had a couple knee injuries <laughs> playing go, basketball yeah. when sense. I was, when I was 13 or 14. So jumped into bike racing, um, and was lucky to have a really awesome grassroots statewide series in Texas. Um, that didn't necessarily, uh, make me a good racer in the scheme of, of the country or the world, but uh, really instilled a lot of love for the sport. Um, and once I got a few opportunities with the national team and my eyes were open to how good you could be, I realized that I needed to make some moves. And uh, even now, if you wanna be a pro mountain biker in North America, kind of the place to be is Durango, Colorado. Yeah. So I moved there for college. Uh, Beautiful Fort Lewis. Yep, yep, All right. haven't, haven't left since, putting down roots there for sure. Um, in terms of how I got into Travis is still there. T Brown. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm doing some bike testing for him on Tuesday. Oh, nice. Yeah. (laughs) So I was actually, I was going to ask you that Tim. Um, I noticed I was, I was looking at the, um, so I shot the 97 cyclocross nationals in Denver for men's journal. Oh yeah. So who was Andy Bishop was there. Yeah. Yeah. Were you, were you a junior? Were you racing Meyerson at that point? I did collegiate. So I just rode by that uh, space the other day. Okay. uh, Is it like covered with houses now? (laughs) No, no. It's actually still, it's still a massive park in Denver. Okay. That was the crazy thing. I was in college. I was going to Lindsey Wilson, which is like one of the other schools that provides a mountain bike scholarship. And I had a mountain bike scholarship. Oh, nice. I got a call out of the blue, like mid August. And I was not going to school. And they taught, they tell me we'll pay for you to go to school. If you want to come ride mountain bikes, I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll drive down. Why not? And I went after the Killington stage race was over and that was like fall of 97. Um, but so mountain bike, na- uh, sorry, cross nationals in Denver. I had a friend who went to DU and I'm like, Hey man, nationals down the street. Are you home? He's like, <laughs> Nope, I'm going to be back East. I got his car. I got his apartment. I flew in, his roommate picked me up. He had like this total shithole apartment. I go to like, go to bed one night, the night before the race. And I get woken up at like three o'clock in the morning by two girls who were like, Derek, Derek, (laughs) come party, come party. (laughs) And I'm Tim, I'm in his bed. And, and I am not and going like, to party. I'm Derek. Yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say, I thought you would have changed your name immediately. <laughs> and, uh, Why? I'll be right down. And we have this very intense, like 15 minute heart to heart where they're laying on Derek's bed with me in it. And I'm explaining that there's a bike race tomorrow morning. And I have to race at like 8.30 at the collegiate race. Like, but if you ladies would be here at 10.30 a.m. when <laughs> yeah, I get back. You want to hang out. <laughs> what Tim was realizing then, though, is that that is collegiate racing in a nutshell. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Like <laughs> collegiate racing, I think, was the thing that kept me in the sport. Like I had already been racing and I and I had kind of like started to feel my way out of the sport a little bit. Okay. When I went to collegiate racing, it was awesome. Like everyone scores, every race counts. The people in the C category are like almost as important as the person who can win the A race. And like, for me, I had already been like trying to be a pro. I was like a fake pro at that point. I was like, I'm not going to go to school right away after graduating. Like I'm going to to be a bike rider and like, (laughs) I'm going to go to Europe and I'm going to race. And it was like total horseshit, you know, like I believed it, but it wasn't actually true. And so okay. I get to collegiate racing. It was awesome. Yeah. I, I was going to say, so it straightened you out. So you it did, totally did like yeah. make the girls leave. And I, no, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I went back to sleep. And I woke up 
and I race a collegiate race, like frozen ground. So I want a mountain bike. I don't even own a cross bike at that point. And fucking Meyerson wins. Like he still hangs it over my head. It was like the worst sprint in my life. So I I had a rock shock in the front. It was so bad. So I will look through because I still have all my slides from that job. And Mm -hmm. actually, a couple years ago, I was going through them and I and I found a bunch of Meyerson that I shot and I sent them off to him um, because he's got he's friends with another. Well, with with Joe Holmes and Aaron Hubble and right, yeah, the whole crew, yeah, that, whole, that crew. Um, and uh, but when I and I t- shot a bunch, I was like following Bishop and Travis f- pretty much for that, except for the McCormicks were there and you know just destroying yeah. everyone. Um, but one of those guys was on a mountain. I think maybe Bishop was riding a mountain bike at that, uh, that nationals that year. No. Uh, in the front of the elite race, so I did under twenty three. Okay, I think page one that year I got fourth. Um, no, Danny Pate won. Danny Pate oh, won under twenty three. Okay, and cross. Uh, <laughs> Danny is a superstar, like in every. Yeah, he's sense multidisciplined. Of the word. He's he always has been. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like but we went to the Crusher a couple years ago, oh, and I'm on a slate, and we get to the top of the big climb on the way out, and we start descending. He's in a fucking Pinarello with twenty fives on it from Perry Roubaix. <laughs> And I'm going down the descent as fast as I can go, and I cannot get rid of Danny. No yeah. way. Shock. I'm like, I got the shock open. I'm just like winging it on every descent, or every corner, like That's hanging awesome. out there. He's like, <laughs> going. Yeah, he's he's a stud. What? Always has been. Fuck. That. It's a Pinarello magic. No, European <laughs> Zero. Tighten your shit up, huh? Yeah. yeah. No doubt. So I'm sorry, I got distracted when we were talking about sort of Durango there. Um, <laughs> but T but, Brown, yes, he's a legend. T Brown's the man. Yeah. Yeah. You heard it here once again, actually. I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's been not, established. Not first. It's been established. Um, and, and the, I mean, one thing I would think that, you know, riding in the San Juans prepares you for is like good adventure type riding, uh-huh. like not sort of mountain bike park. Yeah. Right. Like when we were, we were on a job and I was on a job in London for 14 months and the mountain and the, all the places that I would go would be like these developed mountain bike parks because yeah the you know because it's too far to drive to the other places and i was like i can't I, if this is what it's gonna be like you know counterclockwise on odd days and <laughs> <laughs> clockwise on even days for this fucking six mile loop or whatever then i'm just not gonna ride my bike anymore because yeah. but that's the reality for a lot of people like yeah. so when it, you see a true adventure type event or project or whatever someone's doing it gives you hope that there's another layer above what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, what's given me hope for like gravel biking again, because I feel like I can explore again, like even in my own neighborhood, because road biking let me for the first time get out and see where I could go on two legs. And then us being, you know, summoned around to different countries, we do the same thing. Whenever you land, you get on your bike and you go see the country on a bike. And it's a totally different experience. And I feel like that is kind of diminished. And some of the first like riding I've done on gravel has just been like that really youthful, fun, like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I crash on shit that I probably have no business being on. Yeah. But it's also really fun to see like, oh, I never saw this corner of literally like the mountain that's right next to my house. Yeah. And so the park thing might be the established way to get like the suburban mountain biking thing going. And it was, it was helpful while we were in Detroit because it gave us kind of at least an outlet. Um, but I, mean, I could imagine an apartment like half an hour from work across because there was like <laughs> yeah. a block away. There was Velodrome some, too, yeah. 
Oh, and, and there was a velodrome. Yeah. So there was like a block where there was like seven miles single track, you know, in the trees. And then two miles away, there was like Stony Creek or wherever, where I yeah. did this six hour race on the mountain bike. <laughs> but like it was far every, you know, the, the film studios were in Pontiac mm -hmm. and uh, everybody else who was working on this job, they were, you know, they were trying to stay kind of close to that. And we we're just like, no, we're going to stay out in Rochester because <laughs> there's a mountain bike park. And if I don't have, if I can't ride my bike, I'm going to go. Insane. Run, yeah, I'm gonna do something. Get sponsored by Stoli. It's going to be my next project. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for headlining sponsorships. That's yeah. one of the things that I kind of noticed about you, Payson, is like the amount of, it seems like this thing, although, you know, high performing, doing excellent in actual races, it really seems like you're drawn to like the adventure side. Yeah. That not only just doing the race, which is one part of it, but you really, from like the patterns I see, I think it's kind of a kindred spirit as in you're looking to just go see the world and use totally. this as the excuse. Absolutely. Yeah, I think at a very basic level, um, in my experience, the bike is the best platform to see the world by. Um, when you're in a car, you miss a lot. Mm -hmm. When you're walking or hiking, you know, if you're ultra fit, maybe you see 15 miles a day. If you're on a bike and you're fit, you can see 150 miles yeah. a day. Um, and it's at a speed where you don't miss things. And if um, you're in a car, you only see Instagram <laughs> or the dash. <laughs> or as, if you're at your desk. Yeah. Oh, right. But, um, but, and I think there's a really cool thing about that too. Is like, because you, when you're on the bike, you're not only seeing, you're smelling, yeah. you're sensing like the changes in humidity and temperature, uh -huh. like all this stuff that you don't get in the insulated cubicle. I think right, you have right, it. Like right. a, yeah. To, and I sort of sense where you're going with the question. So uh, just in regards to what I've been up to the last few years, and um, there's some parallels here with... Uh, when Tim signed with Red Bull 10 years ago, and they were sort of zeroing in on cyclocross as this uh, growing segment. Um, I just signed with Red Bull uh, in March, but they they kind of sat me down and, and asked one of the, the first questions was, are you an aspiring World Cup racer? Or are you gonna be doing all of these mass participation, Leadville 100, Rebecca's Private Idaho, Epic Ride Series, those sorts of things. And you know, it, 25 years old, I was like, huh, am I deciding this now? Do I have to decide this now? And, <laughs> it's a big uh, decision. Yeah. And uh, I, I decided just to, to tell the truth and follow my heart. And I said, you know, really, I want the bike to show me the world. And right now, the best way to do that for me is uh, these adventure, more adventure style races or just non-World uh, Cup type races. Yeah. And luckily, that was the right question. They said, good, we don't want more World Cup racers right now. So it's been great. Nice. But uh, that was sort of a process that's been happening over the last few years. I started to get a little bit frustrated with the UCI style racing um, in the last few years. It's really hard to break through uh, at the World Cup level uh, right now for Americans for a handful of reasons. Um, and I just felt like I could make a bigger impact and be a happier athlete and probably look back 30, 40 years from now and feel like I had a more fulfilling experience on the bike um, by doing some of these other races. That said, that's where I'm at right now. And I absolutely have interest um, in the Olympics in 2024. And there's sort of a, a blueprint um, my team and sponsors have in regards to uh, focusing on what we're doing now for the hand, next handful of years and then potentially making a bit of a pivot. But with where the sport is at the moment in terms of economics, uh, professional opportunities, 
um, media coverage, all that sort of thing, um, where my heart and the professional aspect are right now uh, is in this sort of stuff that we're talking about. And I have absolutely zero regrets about making that decision. So it's fucking cool. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I, for me, I mean, when I started going away on these, these movie training jobs, I mean, end, end up, I had a you know nice travel bike built with couplers in it and so that I can fly at places because I got sick of paying you know 150 bucks each way or whatever to get my bike but the first thing you know get to hotel room build the bike and then start going and like Michael said I mean he was in Cape Town for three months or so then he joined and then while he was there I was actually working with one of the um, people on this on that particular job I was in Paris for two and a half months so like okay i speak french i lived in france for five years during my previous life and i could like go to the you know hippodrome find some guys who ride bikes to ask where to go find out you know the the, the you know go to wherever and i've ridden and the same thing I'd like ah, i'm going i'm going to be on location in naples for three weeks call up a friend do you know anybody oh yeah there's this guy i used to race with down there look him up when you get there look him up when I get there. He goes, yeah, we got to do this ride. We got to do this ride. And then I can't ride Wednesday. So you should go ride at Mount Vesuvius and then blah, blah, blah. And then, and then we're in Rome for 10 days. I'm like, do you know anybody? Nah, I don't really know anybody. Fuck. Okay. Getting out of Rome on a road bike. Sketch. It's like 20 miles of urban combat to get to the country roads. Sounds like my, uh, training camps based in Venice. Yes. <laughs> I, I, imagine they're similar. I know the good climbs are right over there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can see hour. the prints. You just have to be assaulted by a few cars on the way to get And those yeah. new dang bird scooters. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> those things will end your day. That's funny. But, but the funny thing is about like riding in Europe like that, if you ride in Italy and you're doing some crazy shit on your bike, you know, whatever, lane splitting, riding in the oncoming lane, they've fucking seen it all already. Right. So they're not, and there's people on scooters doing crazy shit. And so they if have the skills to avoid you. Yes. They're not idiot car drivers with no, uh, they're not paying attention in the first place, but then they have no skills on top of that. Yeah. Exactly. It's a totally different ballgame. Yeah. yeah. For some reason, when and, I'm riding in Europe or other countries where bike riding is predominantly transportation, I don't have the sensation that I'm going to get run off the road by a pickup with like steel balls hanging off the hitch <laughs> and then beat up because I'm wearing have, Lycra. <laughs> I have truck nuts right now actually on my bike yes. for tomorrow. <laughs> I put them on last last week. I have a uh, I have a knife hanging off the back of my saddle and it was mainly to take the piss out of hipsters for yeah. being hipsters. But um, <laughs> but that those are my truck nuts. And we were talking about uh. it today like, you know, it's awkward to have to remember to charge your your Wahoo, your um, your truck nuts, your uh, <laughs> wait. Why are you charging your, your truck nuts? Wazoo or are they whatever. are your truck nuts illuminated? Well, yeah, they have light up truck nuts. Dang, yeah. I am so looking forward to looking at your nuts. <laughs> oh, oh, that is good. <laughs> that is good. No, I, mean, I was working on like when I first moved. Um, I was in Boulder for a long time. Then I first moved, and then I first time I moved to Salt Lake and I'd go out on these country roads and you know they're like you ride around Boulder and people are pretty cool with bikes because uh -huh. well, you see well I'm si I said pretty when was this That's all relative uh yeah. let's see 96 right. to yes. 2001 absolutely right okay totally different ballgame now I I okay like the amount of people killed on 36 yeah 93 probably those are like I my go my number one rule about Boulder is I will go there I love it I like the people there but I'm going to drive to never, ever, Canyon. ever ride in 36 ever again. Okay. No matter what, not even like 500 feet. Cause that is like the yeah. ultimate straight ish road. Mm. 
if you've got or you can really email, get your texting you on. Got like yeah. this, oh man what is oh my god it's such a cool instagram i gotta look at that and then you fucking waste somebody who's riding their bike yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like boulder is one of those places where that outdoor lifestyle plus normal life intersects every single day a thousand times a day and people get killed all the time and yeah. it sucks i mean it's not it's not i was gonna say it's not that that as common as that in utah but it has mm. been happening like mm-hmm. you know the number of people killed in big cottonwood immigration you know the places where you should be seeing bike yeah. like you should be used to seeing bikes but yeah. i used to i used to carry a gun all the time when i first rode you know you know like country roads in utah mm-hmm. and the only reason is like because a guy driving a big ass truck doesn't recognize me as a fellow redneck no. when I'm, you know, wearing my cycling kit. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so what, we're going to have tribe a conversation at some point. <laughs> yeah. like, do you, what tribe do you belong to? Do you have face paint on of like the other tribe? Because I'll fucking kill you <laughs> if I need to. Exactly. It sucks, yeah. And I can because I'm worst. driving a deadly weapon. Right, sure. My, my weapon's bigger than yours. So, sorry. Yeah. But if he, he sees a gun, he goes, oh, that's not a fairy. Yeah. That's a brother I speak a language of. And then he avoids you completely. <laughs> that is such a shitty uh, equation no, just think- to even think about because it's so ridiculous. It, totally is. it, it is truly it, fucking ridiculous. It's truly like, fucking ridiculous. If you're a ridiculous. human being, yeah. the, the fact that like someone is not personified and they are a bicyclist or, yeah. or they are a certain type of person or, sorry, a, a thing. It's yeah. it's crazy, and and that is truly at the heart of how people in their daily life, the things that they value or not value. A person on a bike is still a fucking living human being. Yep, and it, it's the thing. But they where, don't pay road taxes, so it's fucking fair so game. This has come we, up we or never whatever. <laughs> yeah, they don't have cars. No, <laughs> this has come up a lot, and yeah. and this is like the thing that really got me involved in advocacy was the idea that. As a bike rider, I was riding seven days a week. I was constantly out there. I was on my local roads all the time. I would do group rides. I would do all these things. And we represent a type of person, a group of people, a tribe of people who ride who ride bikes. And when we piss off cars, and I, I totally gave people the finger. I'd fucking slap cars when they would buzz oh, yeah. us. And I would chase them to the mm-hmm. next stoplight if I had the chance. But it's not that moment that will get me in trouble as much as it is that same driver two weeks later, a yep. year later, yep. two years later, who's like, I fucking hate cyclists. And they, they take someone else out who had nothing to do with whatever happened before. Totally. Yeah. And so like we represent ourselves even when we don't think that we are. And like as bike riders, we need to do a much better job of like, all right, if we ask for things, we ask for bike lanes, bike paths, mm-hmm. like infrastructure, we want to be treated as a human being. Then we need to actually also represent our best selves out there. It's, yeah. It sucks. It's true. No matter how many rear mu- mirrors you detract with your shoulder, like <laughs> it becomes <laughs> exceedingly difficult not to do something. But you're right that the implications of whatever you do are probably just thrown forward on some other scenario. So I see even like, oh, this is a super funny story, actually. I was riding my road bike for one of the first times this year. And I got cut off, like a, just a legitimate asshole move. Like, I mean, like silver SUV just forgot that they needed to turn right and just decided that I could stop and just pulled yeah. in. And it cut me off and I was just like, eh, well, I saw it kind of coming. And I braked and I was like, it's my fucking mom. No way. Total no way. Mom cut me. I totally <laughs> That's like, my mom. worst fear. I looked at the license plate and I was like, yeah. Do I just, I just go fucking finger. yell yeah. at her now? Like having like, a run-in with someone. Oh, yeah. totally. And I, I was like, 
I need to get somewhere. I got to keep riding. But I was like, I'm going to bring this up later. (laughs) But that's the thing. Like if I'm driving a car and I go up to a group of riders who are in the middle of the road or totally into their conversation and like don't want to get out of the way. It's like I understand the frustration that a lot of drivers have. And I also know that things that could go wrong if I were to be like in that mode, in that mood, in that sense of like, fuck those guys. It it's really bad. I mean, we're talking about life and death when we're talking about cars versus bikes. Yeah. yeah. And, and we all, we are so like myopic in our view of labeling somebody a cyclist when we're in the car that even the guy with the hobo bars and the two bags driving the opposite lane coming towards you. DUI bike? Yeah. The DUI bike, <laughs> DUI exactly. Bike. Yeah. That guy, that guy You're either is a, a kid on a bike too. or a guy without a license. That's, that's like <laughs> yeah, two options. DUI bike with the hobo bar. The, <laughs> the fucking yeah, bullhorns They were super up. cool. Yeah. That's legit. But they're, they're always coming on the wrong side of traffic. You have to see them and be like, fuck, everybody just thinks I'm that guy yeah, without my groceries. Right. Like they, no one really knows the difference. They right. think cyclists are just assholes most yeah. times. Sometimes we are, especially on the road. Yeah. Well, luckily, like one of the things that has been great about being a, a cyclist as a career is that I've been able to see the world. Like I didn't get on a plane until I was 18. My first flight ever was to go to Mountain Bike Worlds in 95. I was a junior mountain biker. It was awesome. I loved it. I sent my bike home with a friend. I stayed in Europe and I backpacked around by myself for six weeks. And it was like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And you start to realize that there is another world out there. You know, my world is not just New England. It wasn't just Massachusetts. It was like, it wasn't just the U.S. It was everywhere. And like, you see how people uh, take the bike, how they use it, how they enjoy it, how they are challenged by it, whatever it is. And I think that that's the thing that is like the thread between whatever the disciplines are. Like, we talk about roadies because they're weenies. We talk about triathletes because they're idiots. Like whatever, <laughs> whatever the, soy products. the generalizations that you make about certain <laughs> disciplines, it's really only in jest because we actually do share the fact that you can ride a bike and do all these things yeah. as, as a sport. But it's also the activity is the much, 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 much bigger thing. Like, But you do know side, that whenever you do tiny. one of those big races like Six Gap Century or Dairyland or something like that, that you always give the guy on the tri bike a really wide berth, right? It's still a thing, isn't it? That's just an instinct. At this that, point. <laughs> that's everywhere. It's, it's all. The it's time. like a. I mean, yes. it's like a rock garden or something. You just know how to deal with it when it. You look arises. at it, and you go like, it kind of my tribe. You're a human but... rock garden. I've heard people call it like a human chicane, or like you are an orange cone. Yeah. Like I will avoid you. Never heard. There's that. no. There's no thinking. You just. It's. <laughs> It's an yeah. instinct. It's an instinct. I'm, just, I'm ready for the rock to jump out in front of me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever it takes, I'll be okay. <laughs> Did um, and, and you've written obviously Tim and and you pace like on the road in different countries or I mean and I for me to go when it, like it since it's, I haven't exciting. written in Spain yeah. but, riding on the road in different countries that's a good time. Spain oh is yeah. Great. It, but but just the, like to be able to you know like the, this but cycling culture is embedded I mean cycling is embedded into culture in Europe mm-hmm. whereas here it's more like it, it is more marginalized in some way like well it's it, optional it, you don't have to you don't have to even think about it if you don't want to until you're faced with it and you're like bothered and inconvenienced by someone on a bike in Europe, it really is everyone knows about it no matter what. Yeah. It's not optional. Literally everyone knows about it. And everyone's probably ridden at some point in their mm-hmm. lives, whereas 
here. I mean, and, and with this, what was facing this thing? Like Michael said something, and I'm like totally blown my mind about a six day stage race in Mongolia. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. is that? No, it was, was a couple of years ago. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It just sounds. I mean, I've spent some time in that was Tajikistan that was a really stuff, in but. terms of what we've talked about a little bit in terms of career trajectory and decisions and stuff. Yeah. That race was super pivotal for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, How did you find out about point, it in the first place? Like <laughs> each day. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, it was an interesting crossroads. Um, I was, uh, I guess I was 22 senior year of college. Um, and was looking at the, I wasn't, uh, fully funding my life through bike racing yet. And I was looking at the prospect of getting a part-time job once I graduated or, uh, having some sort of breakthrough in my career and being able to graduate and race full time. Yeah. And I was starting to hear these whispers about uh, kind of new directions bike racing was going and the economics of World Cup racing was uh, eroding further. Um, and at the time, I think I had like $3,500 to my name maybe. And I was given this offer to go over to Mongolia. All expenses paid except for the flight. And the flight was like $2,300. And I just had, I had this, I had this gut feeling and I had a couple connections and I, I secured this, uh, interview with outside magazine before I went on the trip and I kind of looked at the field and I knew it was going to be fairly stacked, but, uh, I had a fairly stacked in terms of there was going to be two or three riders that would be hard to beat. There were a couple okay. of Italian world cup guys and not a deep field, but winning was going to be hard, but I had this gut feeling and I knew that if I pulled off the win, got this interview and outside, Things could come together, opportun- doors might open. You'd get to 2300 back. Yeah. And I had some bigger, I had some bigger yeah. conversations going. Any, <laughs> anyway, long story short, I said, you know what? I'm just going to do this. Uh, so flew over there by myself, uh, did the six-day stage race, had an unbelievable experience, learned a huge amount about the culture, some of the social issues that are going on over there the most insane road riding I've ever done in terms of safety. There we go. I think, yeah, I think you beat us. <laughs> riding in Ulaanbaatar. Whoa. <laughs> um, that was exciting. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a life changing trip, both from a professional standpoint and then also, uh, I guess spiritually, um, just how I looked at the world, how I wanted to spend my life. Um, so yeah, it was, it was awesome. And are, are, have there been more of similar events since, like put to, put on by that same organization? Or I mean, is this uh, that crew? It's an Italian crew. I think they do a couple Grand Fondos in Italy, but that's sort of their their bread and butter. Okay. Um, yeah, and I mean that that sort of quote unquote adventure race. It, it's sort of an interesting in between where you know you're not uh, using maps to get around, but it's still absolutely a race, but you're also racing across Mongolia and you, you know, a herd of a hundred wild horses just sort of merge in with you and run alongside you for a mile. And you're like, this is insane. I'm racing my bike right now. And then you have this epic battle with like this Italian world cup dude amongst the horses. And you're like, yeah, I think I could do this again. Yeah. I think think I want to do this. Fuck. That sounds cool. (laughs) That'll help get your thirst for adventure up. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe we always like, we always find a thrill. I don't know why we always come back to bike riding, but it's like, it's an allegory for other things. It's an experience. It's a, 
it's a motor trend. It's all these things. But you mentioned something you were quoted on your uh, possibly an interview with you, and you said you had come up with your best ideas on the longest, hardest uh, oh, yeah. rides. And I like, like all of us have had that experience to some aspect and that's why come we always some of my worst ideas my uh, that too but then on the next ride you figure out that that was a bad idea because <laughs> yeah. there, there's just something and maybe this goes back to you know uh, in you know writing and uh, a lot of famous authors are really known for like monotonous aerobic activity to get ideas to brew yeah. and that's like some or, of the most or drinking or drinking yeah hunter s thompson style the <laughs> or local hero, uh, yeah, Ernie, <laughs> Ernie. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think we passed by the memorial on the oh, ride today. That's a, didn't so we? Chris, we did. Actually, Chris yeah. was uh, reading Mark Twain when I came in the other day, and I was like, "It's a weird choice for a book." And he was like, "Well, I kind of fucked up." And I was like, "No." He thought not, Mark Twain was from here, the not the Hemingway. Is not anywhere close. To no, where we no. Catch my right now. I think he just that's mixed funny. up the the American classics. Really that's cool. awesome. It's <laughs> just like all right, poor Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll have to give him a hard time. He got. I, I think Muriel Hemingway was there last night at that at that reception. Oh, okay. Really? Yeah. Wow. Really? That's what Rebecca said this morning. That's crazy. That is nuts. Yeah. Um, it, it does. It, it plays in like that whole. I don't know, moving for that long and going that hard and removing a part of yourself that gets in the way leads to some other thoughts. So I always find that when you sit down with somebody who rides a bike, generally, more often than than other sports, they're a little bit more well thought out. Like mm -hmm. I thought, and you quoting that made me think like, oh, that's actually a really, like, uh, we could sell all the green aspects of riding a bike, but I think it <laughs> allows people to think more and it allows them to you know, understand themselves and the world better. And I think that's something that like, I, I would just want to vocalize why that's a cool thing. It doesn't matter yeah. if it's a mountain bike or a cross bike or whatever. If you go long enough, you'll yeah. have some really good thoughts. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that so many of these longer races are getting so popular. Again, you know, Leadville, Epic Rides, Rebecca's Private Idaho, Kansas, whatever it is. People want, these days, people are more drawn to spending their money on experiences rather than things, um, yes. which is, it, it's so, so cool. And you hear that, I mean, if you, you know, poke around outside the industry, um, which I try to do, you hear that too. Uh, people are buying experiences. Um, and I think it is because, you know, when you're in a cubicle five days a week, um, not only can your bike take you places physically, but man, it can take you places emotionally and psychologically too. You can get really far away from a lot of bad stuff. Yeah, on yeah, bike. yeah. And you don't have to <laughs> you be know, you like, don't have to be winning a race to have that happen. I yeah. mean, one of the every year, one of the coolest experiences I have on a bike is racing the Leadville 100 when you're the you know as one of the leaders or whatever. You're coming down Columbine, and these thousands the best, of amateurs yeah. are coming up, yeah, and they are cool. so ecstatic to see you. Every single one of them cheers for you. And they're, you just know, like I got choked up this year. I, I don't cry a whole lot at this point in my life, but I got choked up during this bike race when I was in a crazy battle with like the marathon world champion and Howard Grotz. I was crying on my bike, like probably not that productive, but I, <laughs> I had this incredible emotional reaction to these amateur riders toiling away. And we were, we were in the same thing. It didn't matter that we were an hour ahead at that point. Um, 
And so when we crossed the line, you know, a little over six hours later, they still had three hours, four hours, five hours to go. And so we kind of got this little crew together of some of the pro riders and went to the finish line and cheered on the, the folks that came in just under the cutoff time of 12 hours. Um, and it's, I mean, that's happening everywhere in all different yeah. kinds of events right now. That's such a huge um, tip of the hat to Ironman for what they do. Yeah. Because they really do flock back to the finish line to watch everyone come back who are, who are fighting for that cutoff, whatever yeah. that is. But, but you're right, like there are not many marathons or any that will actually pass the leaders past right. The, right. Meat, the meat of the pack. Like coming down Columbine really is awesome. Yeah. It's just a road. It's just a road yeah. that's in the middle of fucking nowhere. And you've got one person crawling up the thing at like maybe five miles an hour. And then yeah. someone else going down at 35. Yeah. Who's like maybe trying to drink another kill back and like trying to like <laughs> trying to fly <laughs> down this thing as fast as they possibly can. Try not to kill the person who's like head like down. From like a down 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 down. Yeah. standpoint, yeah. it's not a great idea. It's really like, not. There are dicey moments no, every really year. Not. And yet I wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> no, yeah. that is such a cool thing about Webble, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, actually coming down, I was after the TT yesterday when I was coming down and I was just like, okay, I mean, it, it makes sense to respect the 20 mile an hour rule right here because <laughs> I could just fucking eat shit and take someone with me, you know, off the side of the road <laughs> yeah. as they're still coming up. It might be embarrassing. It, you don't <laughs> want to do that. No, I don't want to be that guy. No. I, I no, think it, there's, maybe that's... Actually, hang on one second. Yes, yeah, sure. you got like five minutes, right, yes. Tim? Oh, yeah. So... I know when it, it goes good, fast. Good session. Yeah. And if Payson, if you'll, if you want to hang out a little bit when, after sure. he takes and we can continue, but I really want to talk about Mount Washington. Well, first yeah. of all, <coughs> so, so the, the, Sorry, the, uh, still alive summer version, working on it. so Getting 2001 through. was when you won the Mount Washington hill climb, but I had done it. That was my first road race ever. It was going out of Mount Washington road race. Yeah. Like road air, race, yeah. air quotes. Cause yeah. it's like 7.6 miles and it's straight up of fucking rock pile, fucking rock pile. Yeah. yeah. So, and then my family is from that valley, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Anyway, yeah, I spent a lot of time out, out there. Actually, I mean, I've yeah, I grew up I, in I've only interest. been in North Conway in the winter. Well, no, I lived there in the summer, but like all the climbing I did was uh, was being there. Well, yeah, the there's there's a couple ledges there. There's no, a couple ledges and some frozen stuff. And yeah. anyway, um, but uh, this when I stumbled on this thing of having ridden a fat bike up it in the winter. <laughs> fucking well a it's super cool cold uh, yeah <laughs> but, yeah. but but i mean super cool. just just the idea to do it is like well why why the fuck not what? why did why did was why this, wasn't this, it done before yes exactly because this was what like six months ago no 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 or was it no so that was because uh, i couldn't find the date on that but that was two years ago now okay um so that was one of the first road races I had ever done. I that was a thing that I had done um, as a mountain biker. I put a triple on my road bike, and I'm just gonna go ride up this thing. And it was like a 22 small chain ring on the front, same cassette in the back, and I'm just like chains banging around, dangling, <laughs> like whatever it was. Yes. And I'm like, eh. Yeah. And I was the idiot kid who could talk to the person next to me who's like crawling up this thing in a in a 39, 25, like huge gear. Yeah all muscle and i'm like hey, hey what's up what's going on like, <laughs> i was the annoying kid up there um but i had always wanted to do it because it's a big deal in new england mount washington oh, yeah. is like mythical and what it represents and it's got this crazy record of the wind and, and and i mean to be up on top of that thing in the winter 
however so you summer, got there in is, the summer sucks like yeah if you've got a bumper sticker on your car it says like this car climbed mount washington yeah. you've probably had like a 50 percent chance of like going up there and shivering to death and like running from building to building back to your car <laughs> and driving back down being yeah. like cool we drove up mount washington yeah. it's awesome <laughs> i hear you can see six states like, but you never see anything. Exactly. And then the other 50% is like, wow, it's the most beautiful day in the world. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe how nice it was up there. And then, so when we had the idea, it was like, um, there's an auto road, bottom to top. It's this privately owned thing. It's an entity in and to itself. Um, in New England, Mount Washington represents like the biggest, toughest, most brutal thing. For like 20 years, the record for running and riding was almost exactly the oh same. Oh my God. No shit. That's how steep it is. Jeez. It's like 12%, 12.5% average, 22% max. And so forever, the same speed. And it's because of the gears. It's because of like a 20 something pound road bike with a big thick gear on it. And the person running is like going the same speed as you. Wow. Um, and I had done it. They had the brilliant idea of giving away an Audi to the winner of this thing who set the record and that's what brought out the dopers like fucking everybody i was gonna say did you beat what, tyler you know tyler <laughs> came off the tour and then goes and he wins an audi a4 yeah fucking congratulations congrats bro yeah. i got fifth or something and i was you know 18 or 19 whatever and then he comes back and he and he wins it again and he's like i got an audi tt i'm gonna give it to my wife and i got second or third whatever it was um and i i was winning when the record wasn't set and then fucking Tommy D shows up and, you know, wins the record, but no money or maybe a little bit. My wife goes and, and gets second to a doper who's fucking sets a record and like, oh my God, I had so many like unfinished threads hanging uh -huh. over this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but the people who put on the event are awesome. Like they're great people. They love riding. They love the mountain. They're in, in, in North Conway, like my Washington Valley. They're community members, like, and they believe in it hundred percent. And, uh, so getting, getting the opportunity to do it was Red Bull saying, you know what, let's see if we can get access to the, to the road. It's totally illegal. They don't want anyone to do it ever. We got it. All right. When are we going to do it? All right. Well, you know, maybe like first week of February. Let's that seems like a do it great on a good time day. of year. Yeah, exactly. So I went up there in mid January and we did a portion of it. So like snowcat and then riding. Okay. And it's like a foot of powder and I get out of the snowcat and I start riding up this thing and I can't fucking move. <sighs> I mean, I have three PSI in my, in my fat bike. I don't have my, my studs in just yet, but I'm trying to go up this thing and I can't move. And I'm like, well, what if it snows? Like, what are we going to yeah. do? I'm just gonna have to push. And yeah, you're just gonna have to push my, my athlete manager, Jenna Richard is like, He's like, man, we'll figure it out. Like whatever, whatever happens is going to happen. But so the Utah connection is kind of funny with you guys is that, um, the camera crew Skylar is like this legend in, in park city for like putting together these crazy, crazy things. And he shot this slate video that we did for Cannondale and we called him up and he's like, yeah, man, I'll come out. And we get to, uh, New Hampshire and his crew is like, it's only 6,288 feet tall. It, it can't be How that bad, bad can it be? How bad can it be? <laughs> the worst. So, that's like fact. the day before. It's, 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 it's lower than my house, right. you know, or something. <laughs> Literally, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> and so the day before the attempt, <clears throat> they go up in a snowcat and they're checking out 
filming spots, like angles. <laughs> and there's a gust of wind and it knocks one of the crew members onto the ground and slides him all the way across like an ice covered parking lot into a pile of rocks. And it's like, Welcome. okay, I guess we need uh, spikes for our shoes because yeah. otherwise, how the hell are we gonna shoot this thing? By the time I had done it for the main, the, the shoot day, yeah. All the snow is off the mountain, like like it does. Yeah, and it got it blown like into wherever. The bluest, zero air in the rock, uh, sorry, in the ice, like the deepest, darkest, driest ice yeah. ever. I mean, it is like just yeah. fucking rock solid. And I've got a million carbide spikes in my fat bike. I have spikes in my shoes. Because if you have to dismount, like. I did. I got, I crashed on the way up. Like, it is fuck. no, no joke. Like, it oh, was yeah. ridiculous trying to get up. Uphill crashes. That means it's legit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was awesome. It was a really good time. Um, it, it was a surprisingly nice day. Like, it would have been great for ice climbing. Yeah. Sunny, not that windy, like 30, 40 mile an hour winds. Like, you know, not 100. Yep. Exactly. Sounds like a good day. Um, and no snow to get in the way. Like, you could tell what was a good piece of ice to actually try and get into and otherwise yeah. you're fine um and so i rode up that thing and i you know we had to drone this red camera on an eight rotor drone flying next to me on one of the shots and the gust of wind comes and it smashes into the rocks and fucking carbon everywhere and skylar's is like Skylar's hanging out the back of the snowcat. This is where we get insurance. The budget is now doubled. <laughs> He's like, don't worry about it. Just fucking go, dude. Oh, and he was man. totally serious. Like, that's like a $30,000 camera. Yeah. I don't know, $10,000 drone just like smashed into the rocks. Go, dude. Uh, so we get fucking. to the top and Mount Washington Observatory is like the place where people get rescued because they're going to die. Yeah. Like, if you're hiking in the winter, and you get caught out. If you can make it to the observatory, you probably will live. You know, you can yeah. make it to the alcove by the door. And even if it's locked, you can probably like find enough, you know, shelter to live. And uh, get in there. And, you know, the time doesn't matter because no one's ever done it. It was like an hour and a half. My best time riding was like 52 minutes or something or 51. It wasn't that far off. But yeah. like I could only do like 297 watts because my my tire would spin like because yeah. like, oh, there was no traction whatsoever oh. so i'm like super it was like having ice uh wet rudy single track the yeah, whole way yeah, up yeah. you're just like ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> okay. it's all about really yeah yeah like my ass <laughs> is moving side to side i'm trying to find traction oh, whatever man. it takes that's crazy uh but okay, so flip, flip, flip that because you mentioned Cannondale and the slate and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, one of the things actually that got me after I had my, this experience in Moab on my road bike and the inappropriate terrain, um, I somebody a friend of mine sent me that video, Bad Water to the Top of White Mountain. Yeah. So there is a there is a single push record of about thirty. I think it's thirty three hours that those three guys did. No way. Really? Yeah. Thirty three hours. Yeah. Or thirty might be thirty one. I can't remember this, but it's 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 something on the Cannondale site, actually. Wow, I haven't seen it. Um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, of course. So, yeah, yes. lowest point to the highest yeah, point Werner, that you can actually ride a bike. And there's three dudes. And yeah, Werner. One's and, on a slate. One's on the, the cross bike. Yeah, and two then, guys. Uh, and sorry, Ryan, for not remembering who's yeah. with you. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that's badass. Yeah. And they're not riding six days a week. I mean, those guys are hustling, whatever the jobs are doing. Yeah. And and that was the thing that like Brian's whole angle with that was remembering that people are normal 
yeah. but have abnormal aspirations. Like it would be so cool, so cool if we could do this and it doesn't matter if we're not really prepared, we're going to go do that. Yeah. It was one of the coolest things I've seen. Cause this is like my whole climbing career was, was based on that sort of premise was adding fitness to the technical ability. And then, you know, the, the culmination for me, and we ended up doing a route that, um, we, it took it, we, we were on it for, uh, 60 hours nonstop plus then three to descend. Um, there's a big hard route on the south face of McKinley. And so when I watch this, I'm like, wow, they're taking single push tactics from the mountains and applying them to these crazy rides that like guys do in two, three, four days. What's wide open about that? You know, what's out there that's yeah. like that. that? And, and I think that the, just the, not only the evolution of the technology, but just mentality in terms of like how we ride bikes, why we ride bikes has changed, like has just opened up this incredible well, the, the outdoor Stuff. world, like Killian Jornet, the way that he yeah. would do <laughs> big attempts, like yeah. you've got that, that incredibly, you know, one in a million physical talent uh, yep. and the technical skill and then the motivation and all the other things like, and then a totally open mind about what's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't know. I think that there's nothing better than blowing the mind of someone that you consider to be a peer mm-hmm. or like someone that you consider to be in your community. And so when you can do that it doesn't matter what anyone else says. Like if your friends are like, holy shit, dude, really? Yeah. Like, yeah. Why not? Like why that. not? Yeah. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. I, I, um, I, whatever's next, uh, I've, look forward to getting blown away by it <laughs> well I, dude i don't i don't know if i can uh i I'm, I'm definitely at a point where i'm passing off the torch for a lot of like different things but um i don't know like the thing that thing that makes me happy is that where we sit in this world as far as bikes bikes go um you know this morning at eight o'clock in the morning there were like 200 people ready to go for a gravel ride and my first cross races were all 200 people maximum and <laughs> we were weird and no one yeah. understood why we were doing what we were doing. Cause roadies are cool and mountain bikers are rad. And like cross is just this weird thing that happened in the middle. And now gravel is this thing where people want to be a part of it. There's 1200 people tomorrow at the race. And there are a lot of events all around the country that do that. And yeah. you go to Kansas and you can, Leadville is basically a gravel race. It's like one of the original gravel races ever. It is the first ever <laughs> gravel race, believe it or not. In like, fact, yeah, like I'm, I'm very hopeful for you know how that all goes, and I'm, I'm just happy to be, be a part of the community. Fucking cool. Thank you for sitting down with yeah. us. And uh, can I ask Tim? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh again. yeah. Please uh, hit me with the yeah. Instagram question. Yeah. Right. So, Tim, why are your leg warmers always so baggy? Oh, that would be Ryan Trebone, right? No. No. Uh-huh. Oh no way. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> it is a cross racer though. Oh yeah. Little young punk. Who's yeah. that? Spencer Downing. Oh man, Spencer, he learned from the worst. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't have the biggest legs. I think this is probably my, my answer. Yeah. It's the density of the fibers, not the. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Size. It's what the fibers Science. do. It's not the size <laughs> of the fibers. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I was going to say, so to get the length proper, they just can't get the diameter right for people who actually spend a lot of time on the bike. It you could know. be worse. You could split out leg warmers. What oh you know what? <laughs> humble brag for for every for every number <laughs> I have to carry of, uh, these things <laughs> yeah. for every number of kids that are out there that are like ten years old and baggy spandex like amen brother yeah I'm with you 
There <laughs> we go. Actually, you know, the whole thing about splitting, we were, uh, when we were on this job in Bulgaria, we took like a mental health weekend because um, a friend of ours was on one of Andy Hampton's trips and they were in, uh, in Northern Italy. He's like, you guys should come over. And so we fucking got, packed our bikes up, flew to Munich, drove down to Allegi, and then next morning got up and my, and we had no idea. It was like beginning of September and like Michael didn't have fucking cold weather clothes. He like Fake. borrows it's this not like warm up there. I'd been in a hundred degree weather for boy, like three months for or three months. Yeah. And, and, uh, well, here is like Kansas <clears throat> of Eastern Europe. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. Worth No, I, <laughs> I, you know, I haven't spent enough time in Kansas to comment. I mean, I've driven through hot and that's... wide open. Let's just say, yes, you fly over it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When the, when the, like the, 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 some locals are stealing the manhole covers to recycle for, you know, the steel or to oh, sell wow. the steel for scrap. And you're riding on your road bike and some of these holes, like these storm drain <laughs> covers are like, it will take your entire Sounds fucking like wheel. racing in Central America. Yeah. It'd be a, 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 a similar thing or, or people are just like, fuck this traffic. I'm just going to drive on the sidewalk. Totally cool. Yeah. Anyway, um, but he, had, if you remember Tommy Boy, and there's that whole fat guy in a little coat scene. Yeah. So he's borrowing gear for this know, trip in the Dolomites. Vest. And we're like, next morning, and we start out in Allegheny in the rain, halfway up the passage out, it turns to hail. And we're like, and I just have the, 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 this very, very specific memory about hailstones hitting the titanium top tube and what that sounds like and then shivering for a fucking hour in the cafe before it like warmed up and we could continue i I think everyone who rides a bike in places that are fun has a story like that i'm sure the mountains in in colorado but in uh i have one story in girona spain like the place where all the pros live i was there suffering through what i thought would be the coolest year of my life which was like actually the worst <laughs> and it was like april so sony R. duval yeah like literally the worst fucking place in the entire world for me at that point but when i went out for a ride with christian vanneveld and like at the time we were friends like i didn't really know him that much but we got to know each other on one of these rides and this was one where we rode up and up and up and up and from girona you can basically go uphill for like four hours even <sighs> five like if you really want to keep going and the weather's turning, it's getting colder. We turn around and start going down. We are soaking wet. It's snowing. We're shivering. We can't keep warm anymore. We're yeah. Literally not able to ride our bikes. And we get stuck in a cafe and we're like snuggled up against this one heater in the room that's not really on that much because no one else is cold. And we're just fucking dripping and like covered in snow. And like, I, that was probably the coldest I've been in my entire life. And he says the exact same thing. It was miserable. So yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Welcome to the family. I cut socks for knee warmers. Like, <laughs> like, was, I've, I've broken plenty of bones, et cetera. But the worst pain I've ever been in easily is having your hands, hands, hands like, cold re, and thaw. Re, yeah, thaw, totally. Oh my so God. Worst. Speaking of collegiate racing, it was a collegiate yeah. race. Nine degrees. Uh, Beach Mountain, North Carolina. Oh wow! So so and, so kind of a sunny, dry cold. So you sort of got saying. like some slush, and then it would freeze to you. Is that mountain bike nationals? Yeah. Wow. And I went straight into the lodge, being a Texan, I had no idea, and uh, we were sitting at this wooden table, kind of like this, and I put like deep bite marks like all the way the length of the table, and was just like begging my team manager to just like cut off my hands. Yeah. It was. So in the mountains, that's what's it's called the screaming barfies, mm. because the pain is so bad you want to scream, but it 
also is so bad that you open your mouth to scream and you kind of throw up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I didn't realize there was like. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's terminology for that shit. Because if you're ice climbing and your hands are over your head right. for that long, there's no blood in there at all. There's no blood and it's freezing fucking cold. And then you, then you get to the belay and you start trying to manipulate shit with your hands and then it's below your heart. And then they warm back up and you're just like, okay, just kill me. So, so how do you, how do you <laughs> equate like genetics to being a pussy or not like so <laughs> so for like you know like like Raynaud's this might be a topic know? for another further podcast like, but you know people no, I think we just found our topic yeah. it's just like that you know their hands turn white and they're yeah. instantly cold even if it's 50 degrees instantly. out yeah and then it might hurt later on and then like other people aren't really that cold like I, I feel bad, like, because genetics in cycling, like you can have one person climb a hill a certain speed and another person climb a different speed. And they're yeah. both like climbing, they're both doing the same thing. And then you get that, like you, you could want to be the best ice climber in the world. Yeah. And then you've got this, and if you've got this condition, you're totally fucked. Like it has nothing to do with whether or not you can do it. Exactly. Or, or you can't adapt to high altitudes. So, oh yeah, like exactly. you're, you're like, you never get to go to the Himalayas. You never get to go to the Andes mm -hmm. because you're, you're stuck below 18,000 feet or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the same kind of thing so where worse. like there are physiologic limitations, but I think they're also, you know, on a bike. I mean, clearly Michael is somewhat limited by well, his size. <laughs> no, but that's, and that's demeanor. <laughs> so Michael, just to like bring you back into the family yeah. is that like, that's one of the things that I like about cycling is that you can be, uh, someone who has talent or has or does not have talent and you yeah. can equally enjoy the thing that you're doing. It's called Clydesdale. Just say it. I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't want to come to a sprint with this guy. No, exactly. no. Lies, shockingly, it's I'll lead you out anytime, shockingly <laughs> sprinting is not the thing I can time trial if it's flat and okay. that's about all I have. And he makes a huge hole in the wind. So like we'd go on these rides in Bulgaria like and I just jumps. be like, can you do box jumps? I can, I can box jump 56 inches. All right. Maybe like standing starts. Physical things going uphill is not one of them. Like I, I can get up there. It's just math. It's it fun. is. It is. It's Physics, just, it's brutal, man. It's, it's against me. And, and it's funny because four or 5% probably. Okay. Like even in a road race at 195 pounds, I can like hide and I, I can make it through. It goes 6%. I start getting real nervous. And if it goes seven, I'm out the back. It's so you're, a really fucking you're good exaggerated. You're like rail grade to highway grade and then beyond that you're screwed. Yeah. All right, that's fine. Yeah, but I gotta say goodbye. I gotta yeah. go pretend I can do yes. yoga, so we can. We, we have a lot. In Speaking common. of physical prowess, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Lack thereof. Nice. Thank uh, you very much. Yeah, this thanks has for been having awesome. us. It was super cool. Thank you, man. Yeah, and, let's do it again. Uh, I hope. Yeah, if you get out to Utah, at some point. Well, um, I want to go. Well, speed, we'll stay in touch. So. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we can talk schemo later. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Another episode. <laughs> yeah. um, enjoy uh, lengthening those muscles or the what do you the density whatever yeah. it is yeah <laughs> that's really good oh man are we still talking about how to not be a pussy because I have no information for anybody <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there is something with it the, the perceived exertion I've always thought was interesting about uh-huh I, because a lot of it has to do, like, even if you get into the science and you talk to, um, uh, why is his name drawing a blank? Alex Hutchinson. Oh, yeah. And he had a lot on this author of Endure. And he's been, you know, science writer for a number of years. Um, and he, his 
funny enough, in the conclusion of the book was basically like, there's no answer to how some people can handle this shit. Like there's just, he's really good after three hours. Yeah. Like, and it's just like, uh, is that a time thing? Is it because you've been doing this for like, this is when, you know, you've trained yourself to become this person. And then other people just become like ghosts at that time. Now, some of it's like nutritional, some of it's, you know, training, but given the same aspects, there's also like this perceived exertion thing where you're like, my perception is totally different. Even if the weather's the same, even if the terrain's the same. I think some people's, so my dad uh, has been a doctor for many years and he kind of has this theory that uh, at a certain point, your brain just sort of wires around pain just like wires around to miss it. Mm-hmm. So if you have some sort of injury, broken arm, whatever, two or three days in, from a healing standpoint, you don't necessarily have any reason to be feeling better, but it's almost like, what in the heck? Okay, I think that's a, a very odd looking piece of soap. I think <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna hope. Is that uh, the warning? Don't drop the soap. <laughs> I, I, yeah. A gift from Timmy J on his way out. Exactly. Anyway, uh, so there's no physiological markers necessarily where you're, from a healing standpoint, where you should start feeling better. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like your brain just gets tired of processing that pain Mm -hmm. and wires around it to an extent. And I've wondered about that in these longer races that we've been talking about too, where I feel like some days, three or four hours in, something switches and I could ride the rest of my life. Like if you keep stoking the engine, yeah, there's nothing that there's no sensation that's telling me that I need to stop. Okay, um, yeah, so, that know. that is uh, that is probably somewhat true. Um, at least as the pain sensor thing comes in, there's also something like um, we mentioned b- before the guy who won Race Across America a bunch of times that died. Um, Where can I ever? It lost his name. Just uh, a, you're aerobic. Yeah, aerobic. Aerobic. So the, absolutely the most normal guy physiologically. I mean, like power data had people like scratching his head being huh. like, how does he even make it? Huh. Like he's just a totally average person. Like threshold in the 300s kind of deal. Uh-huh. And something happens where he gets sleep deprived and the pain become, you know, in those longer, you know, in the 12th hour or something, he becomes delusional. And then something clicks over and he starts producing like a massive amount of power because he thinks he's being chased by terrorists. So he has this like, it's it's a phenomena, but maybe perhaps there is a switch that goes off. And I've seen it in every athletic um, kind of If you haven't read anything about this guy, um, there's an article, I think it was in Harper's called That Which Does Not Kill Me Makes Me Stranger. (laughs) and the guy would, you know, he'd have his, his support crew and they would just facilitate these hallucinations. Oh my for God. Him. Yeah. Um, and like, as far as like the solo, I don't know. I if might have still to draw a the, line right. somewhere around there for my own <laughs> exploits. Yeah. We're but, just I mean, really promoting f- schizophrenia <laughs> at this point. <laughs> it's a fascinating thing. I, um, if I think I've got your you know, phone from the group text and I can, I'll send you a link to it. It's, it's super cool. Cause the guy was, like way down the road huh. and I'm, mentally I've <laughs> noticed it on other sports like I, I obviously notice it riding with him quite a bit about like there's a moment where it gets so bad for me and I'm like all right it's time to phone it in I mean I can go really deep up to a certain point and then it's just like all right this is not my wheelhouse yeah and, and therefore it never leads to be my wheelhouse because I'm not 
in it to develop that. And there's no requirement to it. But I've seen in other sports that are shorter where the best athletes in the world will, something will snap and then they'll be the thing that they need to be. Mm. And there's something that maybe like, if people don't know how absolutely painful some of the like mountain bike racing can be, yeah, that there has to be something that you develop mentally. Cause I mean, the physiological training is pretty straightforward. I take yeah. it for you. Like, do you have a coach? I do. Okay. So yeah, a couple of them. They dish out, you know, some base training, some intent, yeah. however they do it. And then how do you prepare yourself for like, for these longer things? Like these, yeah. you mentioned this, the six day stage race in Mongolia that looks horrible like on paper <laughs> yeah 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 if you look at the train what do you do psychologically to like prepare yourself yeah uh so a couple fun stories there um one was recent we talked about Leadville earlier but i think it, it's a pretty cool story uh yeah so i have a, a mindset coach that i worked with work with his name's mario aroyave uh he's got a company called utmost performance and he really changed the game for me back in 2016 where i was really uh my head was holding me back. Mm -hmm. I was really good at training and my numbers were great in training, but the performances weren't necessarily there in racing. And he helped me get kind of out of my own way. Um, and it, it was simple stuff. Some of it was just mantra stuff, mm -hmm. but the biggest thing was focusing on uh, performance goals rather than outcome goals. So rather than saying, if I finish worse than fifth place at this race, it's going to be a failure. I thought about what are the steps one through 25 that I need to take during this event to be successful. And I didn't even think about the result. So you think about getting a, a good start, then you think about your nutrition strategy, you think about your uh, pacing, you think about some tactical choices you're going to make, all that sort of thing. And you don't think about the result. You, you reduce down your want by a list of needs, basically. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. So that was really pivotal. Um, in Mongolia, one thing that I... Uh, so I, I do do these longer adventure races, but I still really love the competition and just the man versus man aspect. So um, uh, this race in Mongolia, for example, is long and it's extreme, but... <coughs> There, the finishes were tight, you know, it was margins of seconds. Um, and you have to dig really, really deep in those scenarios and you can't just pace for your own best performance. You have to respond to the other riders. And so there were some instances in that race where I had to dig deeper than I ever had, most notably on the, the sixth and final stage, which was a time trial. Going into that stage, I had about a five and a half minute lead, which for an 18 mile time trial should be plenty. Um, but the night before I always try to eat somewhat adventurously when I'm on the road and, 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 uh, take in, take in the culture, you know, within reason. And so, uh, you got to take it in, but then keep it in. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes that's asked, the hardest part. <laughs> I had been asked to try the fermented, I can't remember if it was the fermented mare's milk or the fermented yak milk, but I thought, you know, I've kind of got this in the bag. We've got one stage left. Sure. Worst night of my life. Uh, the next morning, I was so depleted that there was a line for the bathroom and I was sitting in line. Like I couldn't stand in line long enough. And I think the other competitors just thought that, you know, I was saving energy or whatever. And I didn't say anything. I was so completely empty. I had a fever. Um, 
but I had this 18 miles to get through and I couldn't lose five and a half minutes. That's what it came down to. Yeah. And I'd spent, we talked about this earlier, I'd spent like 70% of my savings to get to this event, flown 35 hours around the world, checked all the boxes along the way, um, and just including had, mares mill fermented mares yeah. or yak <laughs> just i ha somehow had to get through this and so uh i think i ended up losing four minutes and 45 seconds and the last mile two miles i was going so deep and i think part of it was just like a caloric and depletion thing too but i was having trouble staying on course because my vision was it when it was kind of like when you have a super overexposed photo and mm -hmm. it's just all white that's what i was seeing <laughs> um, but I had this note on my top tube um, that's a reminder of my dad and then also uh, I don't know if y'all have seen Bridge of Spies with Tom Hanks but uh, there's a little Russian uh, proverb in there uh, called Standing Man that's about uh, a prisoner of war Russian prisoner of war and it's it's a somewhat cliche story but for some reason was impactful for me just about a prisoner of war getting tortured and always standing up one more time and that to an extent that's been uh, my dad's life story um and so in these toughest races i i have that written on my top tube standing man and uh so yeah i just i guess i just stood up one more time in that scenario and, and got through it um so that's one example another example was uh, at leadville this year um it's a hundred mile race. Uh, this year, the the field got a pretty serious upgrade. It included the current marathon world champion, and he brought his whole team with him. And it's a pretty tactical race, so that okay. put a lot of pressure on the rest of us. Um, and I rode a great race, uh, but started having really bad cramping issues with about 20, 30 miles to go, and uh, ended up dropping off the podium in fourth place. And the world champion was the one that rode away from me and was kind of solidifying third place. And this whole time in my head, I was going through this battle of, uh, it's okay to be dropped by the world champion. You know, he's the best in the world. It's okay to finish fourth this year. Most people might not identify that as complacency, uh -huh. but it is really interesting for you to start to talk about what, you're, what I think you are. Like, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's giving, to me, that's giving up. You're, you're settling. And so... I was making deals with myself and that, I mean, anyone that's done something that's hard for long knows enough. those two voices. Oh yeah. You're, it's constantly back and forth. You're, you're cutting deals with yourself. Quit. Don't quit. Yeah, exactly. So, but the difference is you're like, do you, do you suffer at this level that keeps you in fourth place and you're grinding along a power line and you're like suffering like crazy. And when your legs lock up, you relax a little bit. Like that's giving up in this scenario. Or you like push through those cramps, uh, maybe spin a lighter gear and, and say that, you know, no, even though it's the world champion, I'm going to keep fighting. So anyway, again, I had this note on my top tube, standing man. And I had pretty well made peace with finishing fourth this year, but uh, didn't quote unquote give up. And that might sound funny to like settle for fourth, but also not give up. But basically what I made peace with was uh, I'm going to give my full effort, give 100%. And if that's fourth place today, then that's fine. But um, I'm still going to give 100% effort. So then lo and behold, 15 miles later, off in the distance, I see the rainbow stripes coming into view again. And I'm just like, God damn it. Like, oh man, on, now on I got to fucking fight. On the one hand, you're like, 
yes, like this is yeah. this is a good battle. And this possibly is a good, he's cracked. This he's cracking. Yeah. This is a good ride. I can be proud of this. And on the other hand, it's like I'm gonna go down to the line with the world champion in a 105 mile race. <laughs> this is my just my luck. <laughs> um, so anyway, we end up riding together, and I was cramping so badly that I uh, I had to ride the front because the, towards the end it, it's pretty flat. And so we're working, working together and uh, I had to be on the front, you know, pushing the wind because if I stopped pedaling, my legs would completely like, lock up. Yeah. And so I constantly had to be pedaling. And finally, I think partially as like a statement, he just wouldn't let me ride the front anymore. So he just went around, got in front of me. <laughs> so I was literally riding the brakes to so keep that pedaling. I could keep pedaling. Oh. <laughs> it was so hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so all of a sudden I found this myself in this situation where I was riding the brakes on the wheel of the world champion and I was like, what kind of day is this? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, got got to within a mile of the finish and there's this pretty steep little pavement kicker. And uh, I knew that I probably had like, just based on the last 30 minutes of cramping or 30 miles of cramping, I figured that I would have like a good... 30 seconds of hard pedaling before I completely locked up and couldn't really pedal anymore. So I decided I just have, had to attack him like 100% all out and just do more of like a psychological attack and mm -hmm. just hope that he would quit the fight. Because if he kept fighting, like... Then uh, you were not going there, to... There was psychological fighting on my behalf, but also like my legs just were not really working anymore. So... <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Getting over this cold. Um sort of faded off the back of him so that I could get a really good run at him and just tried to pass him like at the highest possible speed that I could. <laughs> and luckily for me, you know, he didn't respond. Having won the event before, I don't think he was as worried about finishing third versus fourth as I was. Um, but yeah, it was just, I'll always remember that. Um, just being in that mindset where so many things were going wrong and rather than uh, deciding that, okay, this most recent thing that goes wrong is going to be the one that makes me pump the brakes. Just always trying to find a solution, um, regardless of, of what the issue was. And if that meant literally dragging the brakes during a bike race, that was the solution, lo and behold. <laughs> as weird as that is. <laughs> That's there's something in, you know, that happens a lot of times, you know, that it comes up in the discussion in the podcast a bunch it, it, that has to do with that negotiate that internal negotiation because whenever we're training people i mean for me that was always one of the things i'm trying to set up in in, in a gym generally scenario is to take drag someone into that deep water to force them to have that conversation because yeah. the more times that they have that conversation and the more times that they come out on the good side of it yeah. where they tell the the, the person telling, you know, the, the voice in the head to quit, you know, fuck off, you know, leave me alone and yeah. I'm going to keep going. The more times you win that negotiation, you know, quote unquote win, because yeah. obviously it's not always a win yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to come out on the, on the, uh, on the top end of it. But, um, but the, the, the more times you do it, the easier it is to, to have those kind like have those conversations and deeper, you know, yeah. each like, 
Cause if it's just like, oh yeah, I got to do this 10 minute time trial or whatever, you know, and at minute six, I'm, you know, it's the darkest that it's going to get, yeah. I just get through that. But then the more times you win that, then, then maybe that conversation gets pushed out to 20 minutes and then pretty yeah. soon maybe that conversation gets pushed out to like a couple hours and, and then you're having more of a multifactorial, would that be the good word um discussion like about a lot of different shit because yeah. you've gone you've pushed the boat so far out in a way yeah I look at it it's almost like a high low poker game that you're huh. playing with other people and and in the more deck of cards the more people that are involved the harder it is to count like where somebody's at on control the higher low yeah. but you know eventually most people give up yeah. like eventually we all give up Right, and that, that's, and, and this is sure. one of the one of the distinctions we really like to make is the difference between quitting and failing. Mm. Like we're really easy to blame things on failure now, especially because it's very like hip to you know say pivot and like to yeah. say you know fail or like fail better is like a cool fail faster. Yeah, fail faster. Like that kind of stuff becomes like yeah, I just want to get to failure so I can have my successes. And you're like yeah, yeah, but that just means you're quitting because somehow. Uh, how do and, and, and it's really hard to pinpoint because, you know, I don't want to be a quitter. Like I don't want to be that person in a race. And maybe that's why a very A to B race is so important for people to experience. Is because yeah. it's at some point you will quit even though you can't. Or at what point is that? Yeah. And and to you, it was a really easy concession to be like, no one's gonna tell you you're shitty because it's fourth. Yeah. I mean, if they did, they'd be kind of a dick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that was the thing. That's, that was the, that was the devil shoulder. That was like, if the worst thing that happens today is you get pushed off the podium by the world champion, people aren't going to be, they're not going to get down on you about that. But I knew what I had in me that day. And I knew that, uh, I wasn't going to be pleased with that storyline. Um, if that if that that storyline was fine, the outcome is fine. That outcome the story was fine. Is not okay, if yeah. I if I gave a hundred percent, but I had this inkling that if I actually gave a hundred percent, that storyline might be a little bit different. So, so I, and I yeah, think but, it's I think it's so valuable. Like you did it on your own. I think it's important for people to know that you know. And I don't want to say that it's okay to quit. What it's okay is to admit that you quit because then you yeah. can actually change your behavior, yeah, yeah, but yeah. not hiding it or obfuscating it behind the, the banner of failure. Because when I say, oh, my legs failed me, you know, that, like your legs are you, you failed. And then you, not only did you fail, you openly quit. And I think once we make that distinction, the power of quitting is really strong. Because yeah. I've, I've quit a lot of things. And when I don't acknowledge, when I blame it on failure or something that I'm in, not in control of. Circumstance you couldn't control, even if that's not true. Yeah, I take away my own autonomy because it sounds better telling my friends why I didn't win 99% of the bike races I yeah, had to. Yeah, yeah. Right? It sounds so much cooler to be like, oh, a mechanical problem or yeah. legs or I was yeah. cramping. If you tell anybody you're cramping, they're like, oh, yeah, I would have quit too. Yeah. But you're saying, like, in my head, I'm, like, twitching because right. when I cramp, I, it, the next thing is like, fuck. How am I going to, like, okay, I need to turn. Okay, there, okay, I can fire there. Okay, how do I keep going? Yeah. But it's a really easy excuse to use. And what I think the value gets really, it gets, it's like a human thing that people need to know that if as soon as you can admit quitting and you go home and you fall asleep at night and you're not okay with that story, you won't be okay with that the next time. It's totally. great that you were able to do that in the snap of a moment. Yeah, and it is. It, it, if it had been my first time cramping in a race, I wouldn't have been able to make that decision. Sure. But because 
years previously, I decided not to give up at that point yet. And I discovered for myself that even though it's debilitatingly painful, you can actually continue to turn the pedals over when your legs are locking up. I knew, let's just try this. You know, yeah. worst case scenario, I'm going to be more sore tomorrow. Oh, well, I just raced Leadville. I'm going to be in the hurt locker tomorrow morning. No anyway. matter what. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to die. Wait, yeah. I asked for this and now I'm asking not to have a portion of this. That yeah, seems yeah, 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 like yeah. ingenuous. I think to an extent, bike racing and just endurance sports in general is just a competition of who quits last. Because so, so rarely, luckily, I mean, very rarely do have we seen people push themselves so deeply that they die. Like we have so many survival yeah. things in place that it's it's so, so unbelievably hard hypothetically to push yourself to a point where you died. And, and so really it is just who quit last. And if you do, it's mostly a part of, you know, getting caught up in environments that you don't understand. Right. So it's ignorance It's an environmental that. thing. Or it's near, heat yeah. or it's cold yeah. or, or too much water like or something. Yeah, hypernatremia. Yeah, yeah. Right. I don't want to do a disservice or disrespect sure. people that have passed away Actually doing these sorts trying. of things. Yeah. Because so it does happen. Yeah. Sure. But I, I guess from an effort standpoint. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's... <laughs> you feel like you're going to die. All the signals are probably very much the same. I don't know, I haven't died yet, but I imagine all these same alarm bells that I feel during a hard, like, I don't, a two-hour effort or something are identical to the ones that you will see on a bed of some sort uh -huh. where people stand around and pray for you. Yeah. Man, if it feels like that, I'm just going to be like... <laughs> Morphine. Where's my finisher medal? <laughs> yeah. They should start giving out finisher medals to people that are passing away. That would be good. <laughs> you, got, you got here. You didn't get here first, but you're not <laughs> you going to be the last either. I, I, the, the, the first experience that I had with cramps that were that bad um, was Tour Park City. And it was during the era when the race was 170 miles. And like, at some point coming over, like I was okay going up Bald Mountain Pass, which is a climb over a 10,000 foot pass that happens pretty sort of maybe, well, that variant it would have been. So it's over a hundred miles into the race basically at that point. And, uh, and pedaling on the way up, this is interesting what you were saying about, you could keep the cramps away. Um, but then as soon as there was a bit of downhill to coast and I'm like, thank God I can recover my hamstrings cramped so bad that I like, and I was I can't remember, but I just felt like I couldn't, like they pulled me down onto the seat where it felt like I couldn't get up anymore. Uh -huh. Like I couldn't, I can't mm. fucking yeah. get up. And, and, uh, and I'd try pedaling again at that point, but it was downhill enough that I couldn't generate enough force with the gear I had to yeah. do anything. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. at some point, I mean, Josh, the guy who was driving support for me came up alongside and I can't really like, I probably dumped, uh, you know, like it, it would have been great if I'd known the pickle juice thing or the, yeah. you know, the <laughs> apple cider vinegar thing or whatever the, yeah. you know, neurological interruption yeah. sort of mechanisms were um, then, but I hadn't done any research on that yet because <laughs> it's never fucking happened before. Right, it's right, right. bad. Yeah. And I, I, if you gave me some food, something that, and it didn't like alleviate it, but it got, I mean, I, you know, I did finish and was able to finish you know way better i was able to finish yeah that and that at that point that's a victory was like one of, that was the fucking longest race i'd ever done yeah, yeah. but it but it, it, it's an interesting thing it's like you can actually work 
push through these and i and that may be something that's pretty specific to the bike i don't know if it's feasible running when your hamstring goes or yeah, something like know. that i, do, I don't yeah, know yeah i want to cramp up in that half, like running in a half iron man and qu- cramping in the first like mile of the run you end up on your hands and knees and you like <laughs> even that's not good enough because you can't separate your lower limbs and get them far enough away from you to stop the pain yeah running is a little <laughs> bit different i had a conversation on a different podcast recently where we were comparing the suffering that you can achieve on the bike versus long distance running. Yeah. And I, I haven't done enough running to draw any sort of conclusions, but I do wonder if the fact that you're sort of like draped over this machine that supports you to an extent mm-hmm. allows you to just annihilate your body a little bit more. <laughs> I, I think so. And, I, and, I, and you've probably experienced it like where you are so deep on a bike ride and you get off and you can barely walk. Yeah. Or you like, can't. Or you can't walk. You put you like unclip, put a foot down, and your yeah. knee just like flexes. Yeah. You go out from a boom, yeah. and then you're down or whatever. You're collapsed in front of the store, and your friend brings you a coke or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But then, but then you get, you can get back on the bike and still start make a meaningful amount of power. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah. And, it's and, weird. And I totally agree with you that on the bike, that's you know when I said earlier, you can get away, you can get a really long ways away from the bad shit in your own head or whatever. You know, literally and figuratively, you can go a long ways on a bike just because of that. You can change yeah. the gear, you, you know, you can change the position, the level yeah. of resistance, cadence, all that stuff. You have a lot of different ways to like work with the grain. Yeah. Or sure. trick yourself. Yeah. Trick, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> For sure. That's For sure. Um, I think it's mostly tricking. Just like it, it's all a bunch of tricks. One after all the, mind well, games. I, and it starts from when you wake up and put your shoes on. Yeah. Like it starts with like oh man i didn't sleep very well and then the hardest thing is getting started yes that is the biggest barrier for everybody just starting yeah that's what i have a handful of coaching clients and we go we talk about that all the time is just try i mean that's why uh here at rebecca's private idaho i guess on was it thursday that we had the first stage i was sick as a dog like Mm -hmm. i barely made it out of bed but i have this rule that's just just try because you never know and I got an hour in and I was absolutely running on fumes, but I was in the front group leading at times. And eventually those fumes, you know, went completely away and my body was just really failing me. And uh, knowing that I have other events ahead, you know, I pulled the plug on the day. Yeah. That's, that was a professional decision, but I, I could have finished. Um, and at least I started and didn't have that doubt of, you know, what maybe, maybe I'd woken up at 9 a.m. while people were out there still racing and I would have all these questions about where would I have been today? And instead I figured out, you know, I wasn't in any sort of position to be a good bike racer that day, but at least I found that out. That's pretty good. I, um, we had this conversation before on one of the things, but, um, uh, so when I started, I had a total hip replacement in January. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, I first started, I, the first day I tried to ride, so that was January 3rd. The first day I tried to ride was my, our friend Sean came to town, and that was February 5th, which was not smart. Um, and I pushed that a little bit more. But, but the, the, the thing that I found the most interesting about the whole process was how hard it was to get, like, the, the, the quit, don't quit conversation would happen putting my kid on. Yeah. And then I'd go and I rode for like 30 minutes. And so the next day, like the quit, I, I, it was easy. I could put my kid on the next ride uh-huh. and I could get out the door. And then 10 minutes into the ride, quit, don't quit yeah. happened. And then pretty soon it was 30 minutes into the ride. And then pretty soon. And then finally, 
Um, you know, some of my friends facilitated my recovery. <laughs> um, and, and then, uh, Selena and I, I was like looking at this, Rebecca had invited me to this event a bunch of years ago and I hadn't, I was still like in my road thing. And I was like, nah, like this, I'm, I'm not into it. And, yeah. um, and so I, and I looked it up and I saw that it was a stage race version of it. And I was like, okay, fuck. <laughs> and I showed it to Selena and I just thought maybe this should be the thing that I aim for, that I train for, for the summer to get like as a test for my hip and as a thing to get me back into the, you know, the, the not quitter, you know, oh, I'm just old now, whatever it is yeah. thing. And so she just like, she gets online. She's like, what are the dates? She fucking gets the Airbnb and I'm like, God. Damn it. So I fucking yes. pay the entry fee and I've just, that's all we go. And away we go. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just like, all right, we'll buy the ticket, take the ride. One step at a time. And one step in one step at a time. It, 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 it has happened. And now we're two stages in and yeah. I only lost five places. Congrats. That's awesome. trial yesterday. I that story. <laughs> uh, but that's part of the, I think a lot of people look at, you know, the, you're a professional cyclist. You do all these crazy things. And they separate themselves from you. Uh -huh. They go, oh, no, it's easy for you. And you're like, what? Nope. Like, no, it's still hard to wake up sometimes. And I have to, like, force myself to be like, just go. Just do it. Just start. And then it'll happen. And then I'll be really happy that it happened. It'll happen tomorrow morning when I wake up. And I'm like, you know, if I don't show up, no one's going to miss me. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Well, I need my super domestique tomorrow, <laughs> man. <laughs> for the first I mean, two hours, you have one. Then you have somebody who's like... Wait, wait. <laughs> no, no, wait, excuse me. I need my supersized domestic. Yeah, super <laughs> yeah, yeah. It should be good. Oh, um, I, the more often we can show that actually like top performance is built to the same constituents as people just starting. I think the more useful that is for a conversation about how people might enjoy some of these things, yeah. because that's why you can see, you know, a gravel race with 60 year old ladies who have never ridden a bike and are because the conversation could be had like, no, no, look at the spread of different people here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The pros say bye to them. They're going to go, yeah. but then you can experience very similar things. I mean, you already have right in preparation and worry and hesitation. Yeah. That's, that's really what's one of the things that's really drawn me to the events that I'm focusing on right now and the sponsors that are, are supporting me and our team, uh, that's where they see the value right now too. Um, you know, what's so cool about Leadville or Epic Ride Series or whatever it is, uh, those other athletes can compare themselves directly to the pros, see how good you can be at it. And also you all go through the same experience. And so you can have commonalities and, and share stories. And there's this community feel uh, with the World Cup side of things. 99% of bike riders can't even ride one of those courses. Yeah. And so they can't relate to it. Right. And I have, I have all the respect in the world for the World Cup Series. Mm -hmm. uh, without a doubt, that is where the, the pinnacle of the sport is. But uh, it's, there's a, a certain disconnect there, I think. You can still draw inspiration from it, I think, as a quote-unquote you know, enthusiast rider. But there's something different and something special about being out there together as a tribe and, and sharing. Well, there, there's something about cycling or in, and I'll say endurance sports, so you can running all of even swimming triathlon, all this stuff is very relatable to people that can actually get their ticket punched. And the, you know, I, I would say that at least it's helped 
helping broaden the human capability conversation because football, as much as it can be entertaining or as athletic as those guys are, there's no connection to what no. they're doing. No. Like, oh, look, they did the trick. And then you yell and eat your potato chips. Yeah. And slam the table when your team doesn't win or yeah. whatever. But you go and you take, you know, the biggest event in cycling in Tour de France, you can go watch them go up. I can go to the bottom of the hill and Tons literally do the same thing and be like, I can go to the arena where they played shit. the Super Bowl, you know, essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. And 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 have a go. Yeah. Like Yeah. <laughs> and see how far I can throw the ball or yeah. you know, how inadequate I am. And that actually bridges the gap, I think, because it is like no, but you go. Well, it you starts small. Go like, like the, the, the job that I was on in Paris. I'd like a couple of long weekends, and I'd go down and to Annecy and 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 ride in that area. And you just realize, like, okay, you're riding on the roads. The Dauphiné came through one of the weekends I was down there, so I went up to Col de la Colombière and like hung out and like a you know road part way up, watched them ride by, and then yeah. then then that, the course reopened, and you could continue riding. And you're like, you get to go to the same places, yeah. and. And, and arguably, you could potentially be having a very similar experience. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Like you Absolutely. could be having the same quit, don't quit argument. Not everyone knows fucker. what it feels like to dunk a basketball, right. but right. everyone can know what it feels like to suffer up Alpe d'Huez. Yeah, <laughs> as long as you're willing to get your ticket. Punched. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I think, like, if, if sport can be interesting and it can be entertaining, but is, is it useful for the for the thing that I think it's useful for, which is like this human conditioning thing like knowing what you're capable is what i think sport is used for and some of the most interesting sports become really useful without knowing it like we've been talking about skateboarding lately because skateboarding growing up doing all this stuff and it was like it was useful me because it, it pushed me into other directions but looking at how some of these like very good skateboarders used it i was like wow i did not see that <laughs> and if only that message was there i might have yeah. like if only people were contextually selling skateboarding as opposed to it's a crime you're a punk kid they were selling as a this is a transformative tool because of how painful it is yeah. you're like wait you what talk about standing man yeah you need to keep standing back up yeah, totally, totally. That, most of your day yeah and so anything can, <laughs> that can reflect that like hey come participate with me and feel this thing that i feel i think is such a good message and that's what i'll give props to sports that i wouldn't normally be into because they do broaden that conversation about yeah. what humans are capable of yeah, yeah, especially yeah. like arctic fucking swimming <laughs> jesus christ yeah. i've been looking at some weird videos on youtube and there's some lady that has I, I forgot the distance, but she's the the only female that swam the gap between uh, Alaska, the Barents Strait, or whatever that is. What? Without a fucking wetsuit. Without a wetsuit. Yeah. Wait, that's a that's a thing. I'm good. I, okay, is, so how I'll many people have done it with a fucking cramps. wetsuit? Like, <laughs> I don't know, like, but I think some. But it, she she has some freak. Oh. I mean, she is a freak through and through. But it was oh like 13 God. miles, something crazy. It was <sighs> insane. Whoa. Yeah. She jumps in and she goes, <gasps> and then just starts going. And you're like, ah, are you going to I would die? be afraid of my heart just stopping totally. like from the sheer shock. But <laughs> this is what happened when I saw that happen. It was like, wait a second. She didn't <sighs> die? And that's like, that was the yeah. exact question that that kind of stuff should raise in another yeah. human being. It was like, wait, what? Like, I thought that was just like, don't do that. You'll die. And when you find out you don't, you're kind of curious into what you can handle <laughs> yeah. yourself. And then you start loading 
ice cubes into the tub and then you're like, yeah, this is really cold, not for me. But still, you, you <laughs> extrapolate what a human did based off of some freak thing yeah. that you saw. And then you, you push these boundaries. Like, I'm really interested suddenly in so many different subjects because of the amount of people we talk to that are doing something like you and uh -huh. experiencing these things. The number one question that pops up in my head these days is like, I wonder what that feels like. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm here. I've only yeah. had a gravel bike for a month. Yeah. Like, and it's like, this is going to fucking hurt. That's yeah. what it's going to feel like. Yeah. But I wanted to know intimately, like what the ground felt like, what the fifth hour is, what are, all that stuff. And it just starts with a question of like, Hey Mark, what are you looking at? Yeah. Or like, yeah. <laughs> he's a facilitator too if you didn't notice it's more like it's like jumping bullying like selena bullied you you bullied me i bullied chris <laughs> and now here we are yeah I, I could not however talk chris finally into the hundred mile he's gonna stick with this with his i was really looking forward to him seeing his face in the hundred mile but the 50 we'll get might, him there yeah eventually we'll get him there I think, so. I think we'll see a similar face anyway on the 50 mile <laughs> He's he's uh, somewhat nervous about that first climb, I think. Oh, I think yeah. we all yeah. are in our own way. Yeah. Yeah, because you're fresh. Oh, yeah. And you can do a lot yeah. of damage up front. Gonna be... Everybody feels good at the beginning of a bike race. <laughs> Which is the most dangerous way to feel. Yep. And as we were talking today, we, we rode up to the end of the pavement today. And, uh, uh, you know, some people are going to feel good longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And some people are going to feel good for a Less shorter long. period of time Correct. than they were hoping. Yep. And Half, halfway up the climb, this was a giant mistake. <laughs> like, it's too late. So, who um, do you know sort of who signed up for their, like, the, like, are there, there's some hitters here, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, there's some good riders. Um, I have a buddy, Kevin Gherkins, out of Texas. That's a pro roadie. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, <clears throat> Josh is a solid rider and uh, yeah. a local here. So I think he has a lot of course knowledge. Um, yeah, I, I honestly haven't looked at the field too closely, but uh, I guess we'll find out. Similar thing. I have no idea whether I'm going to be worth anything tomorrow for the race. But, you know, I'm, you're going to try. I'm, I'm feeling better. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, of course, I'm going to try and... Uh, that Dayquil we'll is going happens. to be in the pouch. <laughs> <laughs> a handkerchief for sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what, um, for, some, for something like this, just in like technical terms, uh -huh. um, fueling strategy for tomorrow. Are you all sugar? Are you, a, you know, uh, sweet I, I do, uh, salty balance? Are you, you know? I do a, a taper of sorts where you start with more solid foods as your body is able to digest them. Mm -hmm. And then as the, as your digestive system gets Cranky. progressively worse at digesting things go to more gel type stuff uh, -huh. uh but 200 to 250 calories an hour uh maybe up to 300 uh probably four 30-ish ounce bottles um i'll do two first two will be hydration mix third will be red bull with water mm -hmm. fourth will probably just be water once your mouth is a little bit tired of That's sugar sweet. yeah <laughs> And so you're not starting with all four, all four bottles on the bike. No, I'll you'll start have with two out there someplace. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, uh, thought about that, that yet. Well, I mean, I, oh. I know I can, I mean, I've done enough of these long things that I have a decent idea of what, 
my plan is, but I'm also counting on, I don't really want to carry everything up that yeah. first climb. So it's sort of like maybe. the white rim conversation we were having, you know, it's power to weight matters. Yep. For sure. Carrying uh, an extra pound yeah. makes a difference. But I think, I mean, if we would go back a little bit to that and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll introduce you to Andy so you can have that conversation. Yeah. But um, he and I spoke about it cause I was asking like, dude, okay, you're out there, you're unsupported. What did you take? And he goes, well, I only knew, I knew it was only going to take this long. So basically I like, I think he had 80 ounces in a vest or something like that. And then two bottles, yeah. one or two bottles on the bike. Like it wasn't, it wasn't an excessive amount of water later in the year. So like I've been going down this summer and riding and the days like, it's just fucking dire or something like yeah. when it's, you know, 95 and yeah. higher. Yeah. It, the, 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 the water requirements are, um, different. Yes, let's say. absolutely. But, uh, but the power to weight thing is like, I, I probably could have taken my, you know, gone without a spare tube on my bike yesterday, uh -huh. but I just decided like, okay, that's asking for disaster. Yeah. 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 You so, want to finish? Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Craziness. I think, uh, it's a good, it seems it like, like a, a natural stopping point. Yeah. Nice. Thank you so much, nice man. Solid I really session. appreciate you. Yeah. We'll get you back so you can rest up, get your NyQuil, DayQuil mix. <laughs> yeah. Try to get my face cleared out a little bit. Yeah. Right. yeah. Awesome. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah. Really thank you all. It. That was great. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, look forward to um, It'd be fun to do this after tomorrow, but uh, <laughs> probably not going to happen. We'll, I think we'll, we'll sit down with Rebecca on Monday. And, cool. And, um, and then I don't know. Yeah, this this whole event has just been phenomenal. Thank you for sitting with us. And my uh, pleasure. I look forward to like Great tuning to in and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Have a good uh, good afternoon. Thanks.